In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Almighty God, goes our collect, who alone can bring order to the unruly wills and passions of sinful humanity. I should give you more time to get used to my voice and start to figure out where you think on earth I might be going with this. But I'm going where this is. This is it, full stop. Almighty God, who alone, who only, only you, God, can possibly bring order to the unruly wills, the unregulated, disorderly desires that seethe out of our deceitful hearts. So give your people grace. If there is an authentically Anglican collect, this is it. Perhaps the quintessential Anglican collect. The whole theology of the prayer book is wrapped up in this collect. The fact that the collect originates not with Cranmer then or the reformers, but with something far earlier, the sacramentary of Gelasius, which is linked in name only to the 5th century pope, and the oldest version of this sacramentary we have was compiled in the 8th century, in the so-called dark, dark ages. But this same sacramentary, dark or not, was used by St. Boniface in his mission to Europe, that dark and barbaric place. And the manuscript, if you can see the physical manuscript, it is seething and swirling with this Merovingian motif called the gripping beast these devouring animals that grab each other by the tails that appear in this migration period, and they're at war with the clear unseals of the text, the clear calligraphy of the dying classic world. The world has always been at war, and not just in the 8th century, a place in which fear stalks the lives of people, people who are just trying to make a living, no matter how much or how little they have, and they may have no wish to have any less of it, are required to fear for loss of anything. That sense of fear haunts people. In other words, fear that what we have will be taken away, as then, so now. And so many of our desires and our wills are not just for what we might have, but for that fear that what we do have might be taken away. Who then can bring order to these unruly wills? A combination of hope, looking for something ahead, and fear and then anger as we seek to defend and protect what we have so the hope that we have also might come to be. How alone is this seething combination of wills to be ordered? and brought under control. Can we do it? Our readings would suggest that if we immerse ourselves in the law and soak up what the law has to say to us, like those trees that are transplanted, literally the text says transplanted by, 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 the, by the living waters, that we will uh, overcome our anxiety with a sense of peace, a sense of life, a sense of promise. But when we hear what God expects of us in his law, 
our sinfulness, the fact that there's always sin in our circle somewhere, brings us to push back, even when we hear God's good and holy word preached and read as beautifully as the texts today have given us. We want to do it then, take the word on, take the law on, discipline ourselves, but the harder we drive the discipline piece, the further we find we really are away from God in our hearts. It's done with grace, the text says, grace which brings us a good will. We get a good will by having a good will given to us put into our hearts with our consent. We need a good will then to get a good will, but the good will we need comes from outside of us. So the text says, and the harder we try to get our own will in order by any effort of our own, any discipline or exercise to bring our unruliness into submission, the more likely we are to rule out God all becomes a worthiness game and we're not long into this and we begin to think God you owe us now because we've worked so hard to make ourselves worthy of you that's not a good place to go any further into sanctification but we don't want to be ruled by God that's the deeper problem we want to be ruled by ourselves to be autonomous autonomous a law unto ourselves that's our idea of heaven, after all, to be a law unto ourselves and to have the means to carry it off. That's why we idolize and idealize the very wealthy, because the very wealthy in this country are the very powerful. And heaven for us is like setting up the very wealthy to lord it over us. We delight in it. We delight in it indeed the more the very wealthy are a law to themselves. The more idiosyncratically and eccentrically they behave, the happier we are in our hearts. We say we want to be just like that. Because we delight in the notion that whatever we have to do to get through the day and eke out our living, they at least are free. And perfect freedom and we worship freedom in this country, consists in this, in being a law unto oneself, of being able to do whatever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. That's our dream, the pursuit of happiness. Hasn't that been given to us? And if our dream is our dream that we can pursue with enough power, and enough money to insulate ourselves from the world around us, then our wills and passions can just become for us the law of the land. And they can come tumbling out any way they want. They will never be unruly for us. Our wills and passions set the agenda, especially if all we have to do is indulge them. We will be at one with them and they with us, perfect order, well, at least for us until something happens, something that all the money in the world can't fix, or all the power. We find that all our safety and security cannot mend a broken body or heal a troubled mind. So, then we come to the place where there is another model of perfect freedom. It's called surrender in the short term. It's called death, if you like, giving up our lives, 
because we know that our lives are not our own. And however much we followed this dream that we're in control, we're doing what we need to to make ourselves real and make our real life as real for those around us as we can to give us the freedom to live it any way we want. It just doesn't work. There's more than us in this universe, and that more is called God. And the way to relate to God in freedom is to be a servant? No. The biblical texts are clear to be a slave. Living a life which is not our own to do the bidding of the one who owns us, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us when we maxed out on our own brand of freedom. Now, you don't need all the billions that a few percentage points of our people have to be king for a day. We've seen that happen in Aurora on Friday. How easy it is to become a law unto oneself, judge, jury, and executioner. It is to that that everything in this nation aspires when you peer into the shadows. If I can't do it through money, I'll do it through power. How do I get the power to do it in this country? Easy, dead easy. Autonomous, autonomous. And every man and its men, statistically, who do this, sorry, men, every man can be a billionaire for a day or a few hours for the price of an assault rifle or a few pistols. Let freedom rule. King for a day and see the whole world stopped in its tracks whirling around him. Subjugated, brought under his will, his unruly will for a moment in time. It takes those who rush into the fray to stop him, but what of them? He puts the lie to the notion that even superbly trained, dedicated peace officers can bring someone down without any harm coming to anyone unscathed. Whoever chooses the battleground in this battle has the advantage, and you can arm anyone you want. The mayhem will happen. Well, we read about this and we say, well, this is one more anomaly. This is truly disorderly. It has happened again. Well, it's not going to happen again after it happened in Aurora. It shouldn't have happened there. There was an unwritten rule that it won't happen to us. Well, it did. So the anomaly will continue and continue until someone starts to ask the right questions about why this anomaly is really a pattern and why this pattern maybe can be found in the human heart of all of us. What I do learn as I find that same pattern in my heart an anger in me rising up when my will is thwarted, catching me unaware as consensual and consensus building as I'm trying to be suddenly when I'm frustrated and I'm tired and I'm weary and I'm up against it, I get mad. So I take stock and I take ownership of that anger. And I'm confronted by this. God's rule has no place for my anger. 
let alone my vengeance, for my desire to settle petty scores at great cost to others. I don't have the luxury of the people who get in my way becoming little idols of my desire for their displacement, shall we say. God's rule has no place for my victory either. I'm happy to take the health and wealth gospel for the rest of my life and put it to the side. Whatever is true in it, the world will do very well without it, very well indeed. If there's victory, the victory is in the Lord's, not in my will once again getting the upper hand on the Lord. Everything we've heard today makes that clear. I could go on. I won't. Time is running out. Listen to what we heard in the gospel. We want riches. Jesus offers us poverty instead. We want to be fed. Try hunger. Want to laugh? <laughs> no, weep and weep hard. Want to be well spoken of? Well, this is harmless enough. Doesn't, don't all of us want to be loved above all? What's the harm in that? Great harm. The worst harm there is, as we are taught again and again. When people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Thank you. So, what does the prophet say? Cursed is the man, he means men and women, who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. For the heart of man is deceitful, fatally ill, sick of defining its own reality, twisting truth to make itself the center of its own narrative, to make itself great in its own eyes. We build these walls around ourselves. The truth will stalk us down, set us free, free to open those walls to those around us, and free to open our hearts to the Lord who wishes to be the king of our lives, free to be his servants, his slaves, free to be dead to our own desires, and nothing else will do. Dead men and women, unresponsive, not twigging at all when our desires kick in. That's where God can work and nowhere else. Dead to everything that belongs to us, to all our worries, to all we want. And when nothing is yours, nothing belongs to you, not even your life, then you're free. There's nothing anyone can take away. Nothing has a hold on us. Nothing has us in its grip. We're free to serve, to go anywhere and face anyone for what we know to be right, to be true, to be good, to be beautiful, to be the will of God, God's truth. Ours to proclaim, ours to make the desire of our heart as he fills our heart with his desires. And what the heart desires, as the saying goes, the will chooses and the body goes into action. 
So we pray for the grace, for the goodwill to have a good will, God's will, and not our own. And if what God wills for each of us is ours alone to do, if he has set each of us our own path, our own set of tasks to follow him on, to participate him with in bringing a bit of his life and light into this world, he will keep us from getting in each other's way. He will bring us all into harmony with each other. The goal to peace is not to work it all out politically with one another. It's to go to him in prayer and let him bring us together always through him. God's will, whatever that may be, will set us on our individual paths and bring us together as one. And so we pray, Almighty God, give your people grace so to love what you command and to desire what you promise, that among the many changes and chances of this mortal world, our hearts may surely there be fixed, where true joys are to be found in this world and in the next. Amen.